Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times with your hosts, Matthew Werner and Dr. Kathy Greenberg, here to help you stare down adversity, adapt, improvise, and overcome the challenges you are facing in your own life. Now, here are Dr. Kathy and Captain Matthew. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is, uh, well, I think we're either on episode five or six here. I've lost count. But uh, I am really excited today about our guest, and hopefully you've been following along and recognize that we have had a host of amazing, and I just want to say resilient uh, law enforcement professionals uh, who have been on the show uh, to date, and we've had a couple of very interesting business professionals who've talked about the importance of self-awareness. And today we're going to continue on with our conversation about survival. And today we're going to talk to Jay Wadsworth, also lovingly, lovingly known as Wads. And we're going to just give you a just short bio here, and then we'll we'll get into it with him in a in a few minutes. But he is the director of uh, Effective Combatives. Um, he has been a lead instructor across the nation for so many programs. It, it, it's going to get crazy if we start going through the list. I think the bio had 17 different courses that Jay teaches, but he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a second-degree black belt. Uh, he's a retired uh, pro-am MMA fighter, and, and those of you who've been listening to us know uh, that we have a history uh, with them. He's a 20-year street cop, 13-year um, SWAT experience. He's developed the new mandatory curriculum for defensive tactics, and we'll get into that on the show. And before we bring our guest on, let me introduce my favorite co-host, <laughs> Matthew Werner. And your only co-host. No, that's not true. I have Relly Nather on <laughs> Leadership <laughs> Development News. So there you go. Um, so Matthew is my, my newest co-host. And um, for those of you who know me from Voice America's business channel on Leadership Development News, I've been over there for 17 years. But Matthew Werner has become the brave soul to become the co-host, to take on the, uh, I'll just say the, the challenge <laughs> of hanging in here with me because I'm a handful. Um, so before we bring out uh, Jay, just want to say a few words about Matthew. And as you all know, he is somebody I respect and admire deeply for his years of service to our country. Uh, he has helped to train and uh, choose the nation's preeminent top 2% of our U.S. Navy Special Operations Forces, one of his many jobs uh, as a leader in that community. He's performed some of the highest risk missions around the globe throughout his amazing 25-year career, including a decade with the National Mission Force. And as I say in every show, you'll have to look that up on Google. I can't talk about that on public radio. So you'll learn more about him as we go through today, as well as with Jay. And I you know, want to jump in here because we have so much to talk about. I know, Matthew, I want to give the phone over to you, uh, the microphone, I mean, but to me, I'm going to call it the phone. Because I'm OG. I'm the OG of podcasting. <laughs> okay. All right. Enough sugarcoating here. Okay. Hey, welcome, everybody. And uh, we're looking forward to this, uh, our guest today, Jay. Uh, but just give everybody a little bit of uh, who does, who's new to the program. So uh, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, oh, the, don't do my co-host here. Just, just shorten yeah. it up. If you don't know her, she's a behavioral scientist uh, for special operations. That's special why all forces. you are afraid of me. Exactly. You're afraid of me. <laughs> um, the only thing I fear in this world. She's worked with the Pentagon, with uh, all of the armed forces. Also, she's a behavioral scientist for MMA. Uh, she's a behavioral scientist for law enforcement. So that's why I say that deeply, that if there's anybody that, that you're going to be scared of, it should be Kathy. Because <laughs> her brain is amazing. So uh, before... Uh, we bring on Jay. Uh, welcome, everybody, and uh, we're looking forward to having him. All right, Jay, you ready? I'm ready. Super. Welcome to the show. I mean, I can't say enough good things about you. I, I just want to 
just, I know that, you know, you're not the guy that needs the accolades here because you do such great work. The, the country, I mean, you got like over 250,000 followers, dude. I mean, like, <laughs> look, on, on Leadership Development News, we thought we were all that because we're in 50 countries with other, over like 4 million listeners. And I'm looking at your following on Instagram and I'm like, hey, dude, like this, this is outrageous. But I mean, come on. You're, you're a subject matter expert for uh, many different states and cities. You are uh, doing reality-based training instruction. You are doing progressive force concepts, defensive tactics, <laughs> instructing. You train instructors. You are all over the place. So, wh- like, where is your passion? What What is it that brought you to this? And why do you stay in this? You must be broken a million ways from Sunday. Uh not broken yet. I think recovery is uh, super important to staying that way and staying fit. Obviously, fitness is the foundation of everything for us. But, uh, you know, I I was a collegiate athlete. And when I got out and joined the, the law enforcement profession, I realized that I needed to learn how to fight and I needed to learn how to control someone. And so I started doing MMA and jujitsu. And then after that, I just kind of fell in love with both of those uh, martial arts, and then how it integrated with what we were doing in the profession and just saw the huge lack of training on that side of the house. So I kind of made it like a deep dive and passion of mine. And uh, that passion has actually grown and it hasn't plateaued, uh, even though it's been the the better part of uh, two decades. So it's just kind of one of those things, like the the more I can put out great quality content uh, with me and my team to, you know, all other professionals in, in our, uh, area, the, the better. Thank you for that, Jay. Um, so, and thank you for sharing about being a collegiate athlete and then getting into law enforcement. So, uh, can you describe like that period of time in your life and who had the most influence on you, um, to, to choose that career? And, and choose that, uh, that way of uh, life. So I just, at first, when I was going into college, I thought I was going to become an attorney and then just realized that my A-type personality wasn't meant for the office uh, or behind a desk or behind, you know, um, the courtroom. So I kind of looked into law enforcement. My dad was probably the, the biggest uh, push behind me. He, he did uh, numerous uh, years in the U.S. Army and was in Berlin Wall at Checkpoint Charlie before the wall went up and during. And uh, he just wasn't easy on us. He always said, I don't have the money to give you, but I'll go help you make money. Even when we were kids, he'd help us deliver papers. He'd help us mow lawns, um, but he wouldn't give us any money. We had to go earn it. So I think that was just like the push to always be a hard worker and a grinder and always want to improve no matter what I was doing. You know, that that's uh, very powerful. Jay, and I hope uh, for those of you who are listening out there, um, if you hear kind of any in and out or um, you're getting a connection issue, we're going live here and, you know, Jay's in one part of the country and we're in another. So forgive us for wanting to bring you the best and the greatest. But, you know, that's so powerful, Jay, as you're as you're speaking and you can hear it in your voice. One of the things that um, we like to talk about on the show is a time uh, in your life when you had a plan and you had your mission set out for you. And it's, it's basically a story about a time your plan was taken off track by the unknown, but you were able to survive or succeed regardless due to those skills that you just talked about, the experiences, the training and the knowledge that you have provided for yourself and the fearless mindset that you use to achieve that. Yeah. I mean, I love when you guys use the word improvise. So EFC's curriculum is rooted in five main principles, which we kind of call like the rules of the game. And our last one is improvise. Uh, It used to be transition, but transition is overused in law enforcement, military and everything. So improvises more of building problem solvers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So we, our last one is improvise. One of our five main principles is improvise. And that's just building 
problem solvers. And, and we would rather build problem solvers than technicians because you have to have the ability to problem solve in any environment that we're working in, whether it's law enforcement, military, uh, self-defense, whatever it is, nothing goes the way it's always supposed to go. Like in your, in your brief, you have everything set out the way it's supposed to go, but you, you know, it's going to not always go perfect. So you have to improvise things and uh, being able to improvise problem solve always comes back to how do you handle stress uh, and what your training has on that effect. Now, I love it, Jay. Um, we call it red selling where I'm from. And uh, what I've learned over my career, um, you know, a lot of times, especially in our occupations, is that you get a lot of people that get, uh, quote unquote, butthurt because their opinion uh, wasn't taken to the, uh, you know, taken to the mission. Uh, but the red selling of contingency planning and just having somebody that can honestly tell you or ask you the hard questions um, is critical to survival. Um, and doing that, you know, year after year, mission after mission, um, there, there's great value in that because you can't foresee the unknown, right? Yep. And uh, like you're saying, you know, whether it's contingency planning, whether it's transitioning, whether it's improvising, um, having that coach or somebody that's on your team as a senior leader that has the experience that can ask those questions and make you really think hard before the unknown comes up upon you is critical. Can you explain a time in your, uh, that uh, this actually happened and uh, how did you utilize that, the improvise? Yeah, well, uh, one of them, we were doing a, a hostage rescue in a second floor apartment and the stairway was like a suicide staircase up. Uh, so he obviously had the high ground on uh, the initial entry team. And our second entry team was to, to do a breach and hold. Well, obviously, uh, the first team made that entrance. But we did we did have some intel that he might have put like a refrigerator and some other stuff and barricaded that door. So we had to have that simultaneous breach so that we were ready to rock and roll if we had to make the entry, but we had to do it from a roof. We had to uh, make that secondary entry from a roof. So we actually found a house that was very similar to the make of that, that had the same steel roof with the same pitch and ran that multiple times uh, prior to that team going over, over that. And I was the team leader on that secondary team. And the, the only difference was that, the roof we practiced on that was steel had been up there for about five or six years. And the roof we were going on, uh, had, it was brand new and super slippery. So, um, we, we definitely had to improvise as far as soon as we got up onto that roof, we, we couldn't quite move as fast as we thought we were going to move as the one we practiced on. Uh, we still had to figure a way to get there and get that simultaneous breach on. So well, we ended up finding like, uh, there was a cable wire that was running across there and we all had to use, utilize that cable wire to, to keep our balance and, and still try to move all the way across that roof at the same pace as uh, the first team was making that uh, entry point on the stairwell. Love it. I'm in, I'm in suspense. Like keep going. I want to know. <laughs> uh, it, it was good. breach actually went off like the same time the dude was standing in front of the door. So uh, he couldn't Ugh. get the fridge hindsight. He couldn't get the refrigerator actually down the hallway in front of it. So, um, the door is only barricaded with like a board and a nail, which did nothing to stop the breach. So, uh, the door like basically flew open and yeah. knocked him right to the ground in front of the first team and guys just held on him obviously in a hostage rescue the the mission is to rescue the hostage and get the hostage out first so they didn't even take him to custody they just held him uh at gunpoint extracted the hostage which was in the the doorway across from the main entry point and we had the 12 year old kid at the at the house or back to the um back to our uh rescue point within like 28 seconds or something from the time we were given the, the go to breach. I'm breathless. I'm like sitting here, like literally holding my breath. When, when, when I hear these stories and I'm sure, you know, Matthew's feeling an emotion about the experience that you're describing. I'm sure our listeners who've been in situations that are, you know, in some way comparable to the adrenaline rush that you're talking about. I mean, that's really the recovery process 
that strategies for turbulent times is about. You know, how are we going to come back from that? It's obvious that you were successful and the priority of life was, um, you know, intact and y'all made it home safe. But tell us a little bit about what went on there that could have gone really wrong, that you guys were able to, to really push through and make it happen. Yeah, well, obviously it breached uh, that door, or I'm sorry, he had barricaded that door, and it was his girlfriend's son. So the girlfriend's son, they had a violent DV. He chased her out of the house with a knife, and then she wasn't sure uh, when patrol and detectives were interviewing the mother she wasn't sure if the 12 year old had gotten out or, or not. And they went and checked like all the other families and friends where he would have gone. So we figured the 12 year old was in there. We tried to get eyes up in the kid's bedroom um, with some, with some other tools and electronics we have, but uh, we never made contact with the child per se, as far as being able to see him in there. And uh, he was hiding under his bed. So that's why we didn't get to see him but the suspect continued and this, this lasted for a while before we ended up going saying that, you know, the kid wasn't there and that he was going to uh, injure the child or hurt the child really bad, or he was going to do time for murder. So after hours of finally going and not being able to uh, realize if the kid was in there or not, um, we l- eliminated all other places the kid could have gone. And we knew that the kid had, had to be in the house and as soon as we lost sight so we had eyes on the suspect almost the entire time but once we lost eyes on him and he started talking that way um the commander made the call to uh go it was approved by the chief of police and 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 we had to had to do the go well we are uh we are all so grateful for the work of that team and i'm sure the parents um of that child are as well in the community is We're going to talk more about how you take these experiences, Jay, and build them into the mission of your current programs. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire, educate, impact, and transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? 
Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Matthew and I are doing a, a fight here for the microphone and... We do this thing every time we go to a commercial. It's like, who's bringing us back? And you think we have figured this out by now. So, Jay, if we sound like we're over here, like, killing each other, you, you, you may want to call for help because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's exactly what's going on. All Listen, right. I know how that goes. <laughs> but uh, I am going to give this up to, to Matthew because you guys have been in the thick of it um, in your own respective worlds. And, um, I don't think there's anybody better than the two of you to have this conversation about how you take all that experience and put it into training. It's, it's, you know, in the business world where I come from, training is something you have to do to get the job in your world. Training is something you have to do to stay alive on the job. Yeah, 100%, you know, and we can kind of solve that with with two two ways to look at it. So understanding the why, why are we teaching this? Why are we training this? Why are we prefer- preparing for this? So we, we go to, in police work, we have the saying that the worst answer in the world is that's because we've always done it that way. Mm-hmm. So you, you try to get someone to change their thought process or the training, and, and they just have that ego of, no, we're not, we're not changing this, how we've always done it you and I always know that we have constantly as society improved. Uh, and, and when they ask, ask they, that's their response. My question is to them is, do you guys carry shotguns in the car? No, we, we change from shotguns to, to an AR 15 style rifle. Well, why, why did you do that? Because it has more capabilities. So, so you're improving. So you haven't always done it that way. Now, those were probably with iron sights. Now I don't even, know anyone that carries a AR-15 rifle without an optic on it. So again, we're constantly improving so that we're the worst answer in the world that we get from administrations, from the old, the old guard is this is how we've always done it. The problem with those guys is one, they don't want to check their ego or they don't want to actually see failure or see that they're not really good at something. So they want to continue to do something they're good at. And unfortunately, in the environment that we work in, it's ever changing. And there could be multiple different outcomes of each situation. So for us, it's what is the why and what are all the scenarios that can possibly foresee happening? And then how do we train properly to be able to improvise under under stress and under fear? And, and we know fear has those three main responses of fight, flight, and freeze. Uh, obviously freeze being the worst one, and then flight uh, creates distance initially, but the human body under fear and stress usually just goes straight backwards. And, and we see that failure uh, the majority of the time. If we fight as human beings, we fight pretty good. If we're going to move forward and we're moving forward and we're, we're going hard forward, human beings fight forward pretty well. So we realistically want to concentrate the most on breaking that freeze response and then breaking how, is, how do we have movement out of the clinch uh, for those spontaneous reaction trainings is what we call, you know, box drills or in, in the Navy, they call them Navy hood drills. And basically the Navy spent a lot of money on research to figure out how to make people respond better. And that's what they came up with. So us as law enforcement professionals realize that they have way more money and better research than, than we do on the law enforcement end. So we're going to take that research they have and utilize that to improve our training even though most police officers, uh, very few police officers, probably less than 0.05% have ever been in in buds or higher, but we still deal with that spontaneous response in the streets. Police, police officers are reactive. No matter what we say, we're proactive policing, sure, but we're always reactive to what that suspect is, is most of the time. We're, we're never that proactive uh, response. We see what's happening in front of us. Now, if we had the, the benefit of time, uh, which is usually through distance, then we might. But the majority of police police fights occur within three to five feet. The more majority of gunfights occur within three to twelve feet. Um, so those things you have to you have to 
train for. And you don't do that by just standing straight on the flat range or never training hands on combatives. No, I love it, Jay, and I appreciate you for, um, you know, explaining it so so very well there. Um, and some a couple of thoughts that came to my mind is that when you're talking about being proactive, vice reactive or reactive, vice proactive, I think it's a fine line of what I've seen and what I've seen y'all have been going through on the fear of society on if you're too proactive, now you're policing the community instead of policing with the community. So that's, that's very challenging for law enforcement um, from my perspective of uh, the training and how critical that is to understand when it's important to be proactive and when it's important to be reactive. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's just even separate it from like, say a tactical team and, and the LEO profession versus a regular patrolman or multiple units of patrol. So tactical teams, even let's let's say part-time teams hopefully are training at least a minimum of once to twice a month together as as their entire team. Now, if we're going to be doing a mission or we're going to be doing some sort of search warrant, there's a briefing, everybody's on the same page going there. And yeah, it might not go as perfectly as you want it to go and you have to improvise out of there, but you've all trained together numerous times. You all know each other's jobs and you all know where you're going ahead of time. As opposed to, uh, say, six patrolmen that are responding to a violent call, then right away, you have six different guys coming from different places. Maybe if they're in two-man cars, maybe three different places. And then how is the communication working through those units? Do they train enough? Do they train consistently to be able to communicate? We all know that the biggest things in after actions, the three main things that come up are equipment, which obviously... Uh, you, you can purchase more equipment or you're not allowed to purchase more equipment depending on your budget. But the next two, we, we actually can do all the time. And that is communication and training. We, we have the ability to do that. It's just, that's what people don't do enough in police work because they don't train. So the patrol guys are the ones that really are hampered by this more because they're reacting to a service call. And then they have to communicate with the people they're working with and do they train enough all the time? Or is it maybe multiple different agencies, those types of things. So again, we try to like infiltrate that into our training as well as, Hey, you have to be the person that's communicating this. But as a department, if you train team tactics for patrol level, it's only going to benefit you because you're doing that on a daily basis when you're all responding to a certain area. And that that is so important for people to hear because you know so we're doing obviously we do a lot of training these days um we've been fortunate enough to be at uh, a lot of uh, academies um shout out to to those who are hosting us especially for our work on emotional intelligence but we hear all the time uh budget 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 and there are so many things that we can do outside of a budget can you talk a little bit about uh how do you how do you approach instruction and how do you approach instructor development when organizations can't even afford training? You know, how do you get them to say, okay, if I can train some of your instructors, you'll have it in house. Right. And then you can do your own training. It's how do you approach these things? Cause that's, that's, so, that's how we come at it. So even let's, for like instructors for us, we have instructor development modules for like our main cadre. They're all an instructor development module. We're constantly bouncing ideas off each other. We're getting together. We're working through things and then we're evaluating and we debrief each other at all our trainings. Like after the day, we'll, we'll go back, we'll hit a lift, uh, do some recovery shower. And then when we're eating dinner, we're actually talking about, Hey, did, did I teach this good? Is there anything I can do to be better? How was the presentation? So our instructors are constantly doing that. Now where it's difficult is once people come and they drink out of the water hose from us for 40 or 80 hours and they go back to their respective departments, are they keeping up on the training? Do we give them the resources to be able to keep up on this training? And so at EFC, what right. we, we decided to do was build a learning management system, uh, build an app. So they have a skills library of everything that we teach that they can refer to. They have it all on videos. They have all the PowerPoints. So their instructors can constantly refer back to what we're doing. And if they're in smaller agencies where they don't have a ton of money to be able 
to train their officers all the time, the first thing is getting everyone on the same page and communication. So our app that allows them to do some lineup trainings, they could do just some skill building modules. Maybe they're just going to do some hand fighting real quick before lineup. Maybe they're just going to talk about underhooks, or maybe they're going to say, Hey, in a team setting, the first officer should go here. And then our SOP will be two and three go high and low. So two goes high, then three goes low. If two goes low, then three goes high. So they can start to build that out into their departments before they even get to that hands-on uh, learning. And we all know is that adult learning module has six different uh, ways adults learn, but the three main ones are visual, audio, and then hands-on. So we can teach them with visual through videos and good descriptions through verbal even if they can't do the hands-on initially. So there's always ways to start getting material out, right? Like BJJ Fanatics for Jiu-Jitsu, for instance. Jiu-Jitsu has evolved so much because there's videos out there for people to study from, and there's uh, live Zooms with instructors going on. So I might not be able to get to training today, but can I still learn and can I still look do something through um, a video or a live. Yeah, certainly. So now as society changes and we have more electronic ability, we can start to improve training that way as well, even if they don't have the budget per se to train on a daily basis of their departments. You know, I, you know, once again, you explained it very well here, Jay. And uh, one of the um, experiences I've had, especially when you have to be uh, so proficient in the air, whether it's, you know, free fall, uh, knowing how to be a jump master, hearse master, which is the helicopter rope um, suspension uh, techniques uh, with helicopters. You know, the next thing you know, you're in the mountains doing um, mountain terrain uh, training. Next thing you know, you're on the water. Um, but the audience, I, I think you get it. Um, to keep proficient with all those skills because you're doing something different every week of the year for how many years of your career uh, one thing that we developed, I say we as a team um, at the command uh, at uh, development group was that we built an L LMS and that was critical because with everything that was going on in the world in the last 20 years, you know, you get operators that, you know, whether it's fatigue, whether it's, um, you know, just not time to to refresh their memory on, uh, okay, this is how I put a parachute on. This is how I uh, pre-operate a, uh, a high-speed boat. This is how I, uh, you know, th these are the tactics, techniques, and procedures, the TTPs, uh, to clear a house. Um, an LMS was built, and uh, I, I love that that's what you're doing with your, uh, your business. Yeah, and it's super important, you know, and, like, I, I think the other thing, too, is, like, never be – content with your curriculum and your training. So always have an open mind, always be a student, always be researching Absolutely. and then always be pressure testing. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of different places say, Hey, we pressure test material. But for, for us at EFC, one of the things that you said too, uh, a few minutes ago was we as a team, like it's not just Jay Wadra. That's like we as a team, cause I've built a really good team around me so that I have people to rely on that also have, um, they might be better in one lane than I am. And then we can bounce these ideas off and come up with the best things to put out for training. But the, the biggest thing I think overall is, is finding that pressure testing and then realizing what's going on in society and what we're seeing happen the most over and over again, and then breaking that down and putting out better material for people to do. So for instance, pressure testing in the DT lab is okay. My partner, even though he's not giving me resistance on my drilling, he's not just falling over or not allowing me to drill, right? He's giving me just like good stances and he's giving me good posture. Then the next level is, okay, maybe I'm going to get some minimal resistance and have him cause struggle. And I'm going to put my gear on and do it. So we'll drill stuff slick, which means you don't have any of your gear on. And then we'll put our gear on and then you redrill it. And then we'll have our partners give us minimal amount of resistance just to cause us some trouble. So we then see failure and then we have to improvise or start to sequence different things together. And then we have what we can call like cert guns, which is like you can actually draw them, get trigger presses. The laser is 
is in the direction of where your target is. So you can see if you're making those shots or not, you're not just lip gunning stuff. You're actually getting trigger presses, resetting, um, all that type of, uh, tiny details that we work in after actions, so on and so forth. But once we get past that, the highest level of pressure testing that we can do in, whether it's in the DT lab or out on the range or in the grass is what we call that like reality-based training pressure testing where you have the right equipment, you have U- UTMs like ultimate training munitions or sim munitions, whatever uh, brand you guys use. And then we kind of let them freestyle it. And, and what we mean by that is we'll set them in certain positions first. Maybe we set them out. The guy draws, cop draws his gun at the wrong time while they're wrestling or in a clinch and the bad guy has a hold of it. Okay, go from that position. Then it'll be, all right, we're going to start them over under. So each person has an over under and they don't know if either of them have weapons on and then they got to go. And it's kind of like that fight and they have to work through those problems. And, and if you fail, you're going to get shot with like a UTM or SIM round, which doesn't feel good. So you're going to get that, that response. But uh, we continue to, to build on those. And that is the highest we can pressure test, obviously in training. When we come back uh, from the break, I'll talk about what the highest level of pressure testing is. I love it. Hey, Matthew, we didn't have to fight over the microphone to take us to a break. Jay did it for us. (laughs) We'll be right back. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire. Educate. Impact. And transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We're talking to Jay Wadsworth, a.k.a. Wads, about his amazing career and as an effective combatives instructor, leader, and I want to say thought leader and innovator in the industry of public safety, law enforcement, and combatives. You know, before we went to the the break, Jay, I was telling you about um, my experience uh, with with MMA, uh, besides work with some of the most wonderful fighters uh, like Andre Orlovsky. I had a great teacher in jiu-jitsu. Uh, Wilson Gaveo, some of you may know him from his Olympic years. Uh, he's the owner of America Top Team West Pines. And I want to give a shout out to Wilson for 
all of his patients. And one of the things we did while I was with him is we used emotional intelligence training as a precursor to their mat work in defensive tactics. And um, I'd love you to talk a little bit about how you use self-awareness uh, in your training and how you, you kind of keep the ball moving with the use of technology on the leading edge in your training programs. Yeah. I mean, I think self-awareness is just looking in the mirror every day and being like, am I getting better every day? Am I, am I open to being better hearing other ideas or if we see failure in something, how are we improving it? And uh, that's the most important thing. I think there's a lot of guys out there that just don't want to, look at other options, look at other things. And, you know, we teach a way and that's truly what it is. It's a way to do things. There's other ways out there that might work and might be uh, a, a good option, but we're teaching what we feel is like the best way for us. And that's going to keep the officers the most safest, but like, you know, trying to be humble, uh, constantly just working and grinding and then, you know, researching, just constantly trying to get better, Kathy. Like I, I'm never content with anything. I'm all, I'm always trying to learn, uh, like working with you is going to be awesome going forward. Um, just because if it exposes a weakness in yourself, then you have, uh, the ability to make that weakness better. If you don't expose that weakness ever, you're never going to get better in that, that field. Yeah. You were talking about using, uh, your, your video cams. Talk, tell us about that. Yeah. So, uh, when I left, I had, uh, requested to, get some of my body cam footage to put into the PowerPoints for the um, EFC and DCGS programs. And they allowed me to use it. So what we're doing is we're using that to show them that that's the highest level of pressure testing is when it's being done in the street, in the environment that we're working in. And uh, that's, that's why we wanted to put that out there. No other training company that I know of has their director on body cam performing what they're teaching uh, showing that it works now, granted, I'm a, I'm a black belt. So we have to say that you're the, the less than 1% of officers that are training at a high level. So I understand that piece, but I'm also only like 165 pounds, right? So I'm not a big guy either. So there's people out there that are way bigger and stronger than me, but I've never been in a fight on the street to the point where like, I was like, Oh, I'm even in a disadvantaged position or a bad position just because I, I put so much time into training. And I feel like that is the true police reform is to find a way to train officers consistently and not just in DT. Our program is called combatives for a reason, Kathy. And it's because you need to bring the range and DT together. They have to come, they can have their fundamentals separate, but you have to bring them together in that reality based training, which will be our level two. Because a gunfight could be a hands-on problem at any time, and a hands-on problem can become a gunfight at any time. And if you're not working those two simultaneously, you're going to have a shortcoming. Love it. <clears throat> Love it, Jay. Um, and that's, that's to the audience. Um, you know, whether you're a civilian, you know, um, in society or you're a law enforcement uh, officer, officer. Uh, whether you're in the military as a uh, operator or service member, um, I think, you know, it's, it's obvious to us that are older, that are retired. Um, the training is the most critical part of success. And I'm saying that because training, whether it's good or bad, um, the most critical part of that training is the after action report or the, um, you know, once you do a debrief. Um, on understanding and not repeating the same, um, you know, negative effects of the outcome of that operation or that, um, you know, whatever circumstance that that person was in. Yeah, uh, 100%. And, you know, everyone's on the make jujitsu mandatory for police officers. And I'm 100% agree. I love jujitsu. I'm a black belt, right? But BJJ does certain things that are good for you. It gives you the ability to control another human being. It gets you used to being uncomfortable, it helps you make good decisions. But if you don't figure out a way to integrate that into the environment that we work on, there are definitely positive positions or dominant positions in jujitsu that can get you in trouble in law enforcement. 
Well, and I can, um, and, I can and that's see the biggest that. thing, yeah. right? Like, Absolutely. because yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're not that confident in your hand to hand, or that right. confident as far as your ability to control the circumstance, then you might go to that extra level, and you know, pull the trigger when it yep. it's not. Yep. And one of the biggest, I think, shortcomings in police work is we have, for years growing up, I'm a gun guy. I'm the range instructor. I'm a gun guy. I don't need DT or I'm a DT guy. I, I don't need to shoot. Well, I can shoot 70 past the qual and still suck at shooting on paper. Right. But if you take that range guy and you put him in a confined space with a guy that's bigger, stronger than him and his guns not out yet, then that gun might not solve the issue there. You might not even be able to get it out too. And if you get it out, he might take it. The other thing is, is how many calls for police service are actually a gun problem? Very, very few. Like the percentage is so low that actually are out of all police contacts are actually a gun problem. So again, now we have to be prepared for that. Of course, you have to be good there. But then you take the DT guy that says, I don't need range. I don't need to be good at range because I'm hands-on and most the highest percentage is hands-on stuff. Okay, but what if you have a 25-yard gun problem? Now, now you have that fault, right? So cross-training those those sections together and bringing it into a reality-based training, uh, that is that is the the key along with consistency of building skills and training. Uh, Jay, we we're definitely going to have to have you back on the show because I think we're about maybe seven minutes to close here. And there's just not enough time to talk to you about all the aspects of things like corrective action planning for, for training versus in service, you know, mm-hmm. uh, talking about um, success in the field, understanding how the training that you're talking about needs to be distributed across all agencies on a consistent basis. Cause I think Tell us which, which, in, in your mind, which of the defensive tactics trainings that you do are most widely used versus the ones that you think are going to have the most impact in life-saving? I, I would definitely say that, like, officers love training range and shooting, and, you know, I right. think they put more effort into training that than they want to do, like, combatives, because combatives isn't necessarily easy, and... Uh, It really can show faults of where people are at. And I feel like in police work, the overwhelming majority of hands-on situations are the suspect is actively resisting or actively combative. And if we can get really good at those hands-on skills, solo unit or team tactics, then we're going to immensely improve the ability to minimize damage to officers, minimize damage to suspects and or victims in the area just from training consistently and the ability to control a person uh, one-on-one or two or three-on-one. Like in police work, we cheat, right? We call our friends to come help us. But if we call our friends to come help us and they don't know what to do and they don't know what we're doing, it just becomes what they call, quote-unquote, the pig pile. And that's so ineffective versus having an SOP of what everybody does. You know, so for EFC, what we did and for DCGS is the one guy, the number one contact officer, runs what we call a neon top system. And he knows how to solve all the things he's going to come across from the main responses from the suspect. Okay. Now when two comes in, he takes responsibility away from one. When three comes in, he takes another responsibility away from one and they don't fight each other. So they just constantly take a responsibility away from the number one guy. And the number one guy is in charge of all the communication, unless he communicates to somebody else to take that over. I love it. I love it. This has been fabulous. I know our audience is going to want more of you, so we're going to have to schedule you to come back, as I said. But I think Matthew has a question he wants to ask you. Jay, yeah, absolutely. Just like Cass said, I mean, it's just been a great uh, hour. I can't believe it's already been an hour. Um, I know, know, right? And we'd love to have you back here and just talk more and more about the importance of training. Um, But for the audience, um, and I'm a huge – guy as far as now that I'm retired and I never thought I'd talk about this, but um, I love socks. What's your, what's your favorite type of socks, Jay, that, uh, that you, that you recommend? So for me, I, I loved, I love shoes. So brands of socks, <laughs> brands of socks that I love. So like 
if I'm wearing, what kind of guy? <laughs> if I'm wearing if I'm wearing high tops, I want like a higher crew sock, but I, I usually wear Nike. Cause that's usually the shoes I wear. If I'm not wearing Nike, then I'll wear, um, a couple other brands, Pumas I like, but if I'm wearing short non-high top shoes, like a sneaker, uh, whether it's Vans or Converse, then I'll wear the shorter ankle type socks so they don't show. But if I'm wearing high no tops, heels, I like huh? the higher ones. No, yeah, but no I'm heels. a huge, I'm a huge flip-flop guy. I, I love flip-flop <laughs> too. So, uh, I'll get a chance to wear yeah, those more. <laughs> Old uh, Pharaoh feet, you know, touching the ground. That way you have that traction. You know exactly what's going on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm a big sock and shoe fan, like, and, and flip-flops. That's kind of like, you know, especially in jiu-jitsu, we wear flip-flops to to the mat area. So we're not going to the bathroom right. with bare feet and then bringing it back onto the to the mat. <laughs> right. So we have to put our flip-flops on. So I'm yeah, a big flip-flop want that guy. Pink guy. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh let me just uh, thank you so much for everything that you do every day to make all of us better at what we do, where we're doing it, and who we're doing it with. And I uh, just want to give a shout out here to National Command and Staff College, our sponsors, and of course, MagnusWorks.com, our well-being app. And as you know, Jay, uh, we're going to be pulling you into both of those programs. We'll awesome. hopefully see everybody at NSA next week. If you're heading out there, look for us. I'll be speaking on Tuesday afternoon on uh, well-being. So hopefully y'all are having a great time with our program. If you are, please go out, give us a shout out, and uh, let us know. Okay, we love you. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Strategies for Turbulent Times. We hope Dr. Kat and Captain Matt were able to help you create a plan or simply steer clear of the unknown with ways to overcome challenges in your own life. Until next time, be brilliant and stay fearless.